0: Good morning, I'm Chris McLean, and I get the joy of opening God's Word with you today. If you'd like to open your Bibles at Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, and while you're doing that, I'll bring some introduction to where we're going this morning. So there were three men, a Canadian, a Brazilian, and a Chinese man, and they go into Artisano's Bakery and each order a coffee, and the Chinese guy says, so how's your week going? Now, that sounds like the beginning of a joke, but by the end of this talk, I'm hoping that you will see that this is no joke. This is one of the meetings in the week that I value most. This is where I meet with a couple of brothers who we share our lives with one another, we pray for one another, and we encourage one another. Over the time of this pandemic, there's been lots shared about God being with us, and it's been appropriate because people are in a time of isolation and fear. And so we've listened, speaking that God is with us. He will not forsake us. And I don't want to undermine that message in the slightest. We need that so much. But today I want to talk about the incredible value that is ours of fellowship one with another. Whether that's online, whether that's you in a Zoom meeting, or wherever it is, we need to stay connected. And so we're going to read Luke chapter 7, verse 18 to 23. And we're going to concentrate on just those six verses This morning. This is what it says from verse 18. John's disciples told him, that's Jesus, about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases and sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. And so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of, Now, just to give you some background on what is going on here, Jesus' ministry is in full flow. He's doing incredible things. The deaf are hearing, the blind are seeing, the dead are being raised. And as you can imagine, he's about his father's work and his reputation is spilling out everywhere throughout the whole land. Everybody's hearing about the things that Jesus is doing. Which is why it says the disciples told him, All these things. Jesus has just done some miracles just before we come into this passage, like raising the boy who was dead in name. And at this point, we read that John the Baptist sends two of his friends or disciples or followers to Jesus to ask a question. And this is the question. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? Let me say that again. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? Now, if we know our Bibles and the story of John the Baptist, that seems a very curious question. When I read it myself at home, it had me scratching my head. Because if you know the Bible, of all the people in the Bible who should know who Jesus is, surely John the Baptist would be number one. But it seems that John, here, has forgotten who Jesus is. Now, we we can look in Scripture and we can see that John should know... Above all, who Jesus is, even before John was born, he knew who Jesus was. Remember that time where Mary goes to visit uh, Elizabeth, and uh, when she arrives and she's with child, it says that Elizabeth's child, who was John the Baptist, he, he leapt in her womb. It seems like John the Baptist knew who Jesus was, even in the womb, before he was born. And then later on we find John wears some strange clothes and he eats some strange food and he lives in the wilderness and preaches the gospel there. And he's preaching a message saying, everyone get ready for the coming Messiah. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, one of the things that John says, first of all, is behold the Lamb of God in pointing to Jesus, who takes away the sin of of the world. So, so John the Baptist knew who Jesus was in the womb. And Jesus was also known to John the Baptist in the wilderness. There is a sense of he should know who Jesus is. But then when we move on from there, we find that Jesus is also known to John the Baptist because he met him in the waters of the Jordan. So he seems to know who Jesus is at that point. He says, look, Jesus, you shouldn't baptize me. I should baptize you. But he says, no, 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 you baptize me, and Jesus is baptized. And John was there when the voice from heaven affirmed who Jesus was. This is my son, whom I love. John was there when the Holy Spirit fell upon Jesus in the form of a dove. So for me, it seems to me of all the people in the Bible who should know who Jesus is, It should be John the Baptist. He knew he was in the womb. He knew he was in the wilderness. And he knew who he was in the waters of baptism. And if you're a, a Baptist person here today, you'll enjoy. I've got three points there. So John is a witness to the affirmation coming from God of who he is. So why is now John sending two of his guys to ask the question, are you the one who is to come or should we expect somebody else? It is because John at this time is experiencing something that he has never before experienced. He has lost sight of Jesus in the midst of what is going on in his life. You see, John the Baptist is in prison and he's in prison for doing seemingly nothing wrong. If you remember, King Herod at this time had taken John the Baptist captive. Why? Because... King Herod had taken his brother's wife, Philip, and he had made her his wife and caused a divorce between his brother and his new wife that he's taking. And John the Baptist, being a very strong character, he calls King Herod out on this. And he tells him, this is not good, this is ungodly. It's all gone a bit young and the restless down in Galilee at this point in John's life. And the only person bold enough to up, to front up King Herod at this particular point is John. And the king doesn't like it. He's pushed his buttons. And so John finds himself isolated in prison. There's a word we've heard a lot in the past few weeks. He's isolated. He's on his own in prison. And it would go from bad to worse as King Herod's new stepdaughter, in doing a dance for him for his birthday, would be offered anything she desired. And so she asks her mum, who is the king's new wife, Herod's new wife, Herodias. And what happens? She requests, says, ask for John's head on a platter. So John's future is very uncertain at the time that we're reading of here. And so we see in this passage, John, it seems, has lost hope in the person of Jesus. He's lost hope in his own mission and calling, And to make it worse, he's isolated. He's alone. And he's asking the question, have I got this all wrong? Because my experience is not matching my expectation. Before I I move on to look more at that, I just want to say one thing about John when he's struggling in, in this isolation. John is struggling with doubt. But we see a few wonderful things here. Firstly, he doesn't scold John for his doubts. He schools John for his doubts. He helps him to see just who he is. That's the kindness of Jesus to someone in doubt. He helps John by answering the very questions that are bringing doubts to him. Are you the one or should we expect somebody else? Jesus doesn't condemn John. He commends John. Isn't that great to find that the Savior did that even when they were struggling with doubts? I think when we're struggling with doubts at times, and we all do, I think we can beat ourselves up. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus points to who he is. Jesus answers the question and the problem that John is facing. I think for us, we can often think doubt is the opposite of faith and then beat ourselves up. But I believe we're much better to think this. Doubt is the opportunity for faith. You know, maybe we're going through a time at at the moment when we're feeling isolated and we're struggling. Listen, if you're doubting in any way, God wants you to know who he is. And he wants you to know his love for you. He wants to reassure you at this time. This is not a, a moment where you can say, oh, well, I'm doubting, which is the opposite to faith. No, it's the opportunity to put your trust in God for he is surely with you and he loves you. I think about an Iranian couple I met in Toronto. And when I met them, they were struggling with being able to stay in the country. If they were going to be sent back to the country, they were fear, fearful that they would actually be killed. And then my wife and I heard in the summer that they'd been given permission to stay. But at the time, they were struggling with sleepless nights and nightmares and, 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 and anxiety. And worry. But the, one of the joys was Rachel and I were able to get alongside them and pray for them and pray for God's goodness and help in their time of need. I think we all at times, if we're honest, face perplexing times in our lives. I want to give you three keys. That when you're going through a storm, even knowing that God is with you, that will help you to be able to stand the storm. When your experience in your life is not matching up with your expectations. See, that's the trouble that John had. His experience was he was isolated and imprisoned. His his experience wasn't matching his expectations. I think we all have times like that. We're expecting this to happen and something else happens. And I'll share some of those from my own life in a moment. Number one, when our experience and our expectations are not matching up, we must have, number one, some faithful friends that are surrounding our lives. I think we learn from this passage that John is in a difficult circumstance. He's in a troubling situation. He's facing an uncertain future. But the good news was this. He wasn't alone. He had two friends, two faithful friends. that even his time of doubting, they stuck with him. They had not deserted him. Who were able to go to Jesus on John's behalf when seemingly he couldn't get there himself. I have found in my life that when trouble comes, it's not so much what surrounds you that really counts. It's actually who surrounds you. It's knowing God's presence with us and it's having brothers and sisters in your life who will stand with you and pray with you through that situation. Have you got people in your life, have you got the right people in your life that won't just speak to you, but better than that will go to God and speak for you, when seemingly you can't get there yourself. I've found great help in friends like that, as I've gone through life's experiences. John had friends who would go to Jesus for him. Have you got friends who will go to Jesus for you in this season we're facing? That's why I love fellowship. It's crucial in such times. Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 9, and this is him writing from jail. This is where he wrote Philippians from. He's writing from jail and he says, I know that through your prayers for me and through the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened will turn out for my good. Amazingly, Paul was thriving in a tough experience. As a matter of fact, if you read on in Philippians to Philippians 4 4, he, he's encouraging people to rejoice. And again I say rejoice. He's he's wanting people to know that actually the gospel is prospering in prison. Because you know why? He knows he's not a prisoner of theirs, he's a prisoner of Christ's. He knows whose he is and who is with him. Have you got faithful friends that will stand in the gap for you? when you're doubting, when you're struggling, when circumstances come? Who will lift up your arms when you can't seemingly do it yourself and you're going for a problem? Who will stand with you and walk alongside you in such times and call on God for you? See, John has such friends who will go to Jesus for him. Now, I know they went physically, but have you got some people who will go to God for you in prayer when you're facing difficulties? Have you got some close friends who will do that? John here has some faithful friends who will go to God for him. In other places, we read of others who had friends in the Bible. Think of Job. Job had some friends. Job's friends were really, really good friends for half a chapter. If you read of it, they stood with him and they mourned with him. He was going through such a tough time. They they, they walked with him and they, they, they comforted him and they did all sorts of things at the beginning. And then they then began to do the very thing they ought not do, which is they began to speak to him. Do you know, sometimes it's good to go and stand with people and just be with people and keep your mouth closed. And so we read, after half a chapter, the rest of them, he, they become the worst friends he could possibly have. They're questioning, you know, is it something, Job, that you've done? Is it... Is it that you've you've upset God in some way? Is it you've got some hidden sin in your life, and and so they begin to speak, and then they begin to say, maybe God is doing this because of this, and they try and speak for God to Him. Do you know what I've learned in my life? I've learned that it's far better to me for me to to pray for three minutes for somebody who is facing a problem and bring them to God and speak to God for them then actually spend three hours with me talking to them as if I'm speaking from God. Now, I value prophecy and I value God speaking into our lives in, in many ways. But I tell you, we must value prayer. We must value bringing people to God. It is such an important part of our life. You know, I've got people in my life who've done that for me. I, I, I'm indebted to their care as a couple called Dave and Mary Matthews who when we were going through a very difficult time when I was pastoring a church, we, we'd lost 10 children in a row. Uh, we'd just lost our 10th child. I was down-dooby-doo-down-down. Down, down. I was right writing my, my resignation from the church. And at that point, these friends who constantly prayed for us, they came to our house, they moved in, they cooked for us, they cared for the kids, and they were the most wonderful friends. What did they say to us? Did they, did they question anything? No, they prayed for us and they brought us to God. What great, valuable friends they were. I'm forever indebted to them. My big point is this. We need to have more friends in our life who will speak to God for us as opposed to friends in our life who speak for God to us. I've learned over the 40 years of pastoral ministry that prayer is a vital ingredient in encouragement and the encouragement of others. Secondly, when we are doubting and we're isolated or in a storm, we need to have faith-filled Friends, faith filled friends. When John's friends return from meeting with Jesus, they report Jesus' words to John. Not their own words, not even their description of what Jesus was doing at the time. They report what Jesus has said. And these are the words they use. Go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And good news is preached to the poor, which would have reaffirmed John in his calling and reaffirmed John that his mission was to to bring Jesus very front and center. As a matter of fact, John did say, he must increase and I must decrease. And the very words that Jesus is saying to John are this, really, if you were to to lock them down into a, a sentence. And that is, it. if you want to know who I am, John, look at what I'm doing and look At what I've done. John's disciples return and they report to Jesus, uh, they report to John what Jesus has said to them. And we need people in our lives who speak the truth into our lives during difficult times, when we're feeling isolated. It's good to speak the word of God to one another. One of the things I really love about my prayer triplet, when I meet with them and I'm going through struggles or doubts or some things haven't gone very well, is they remind me what God says about me. They remind me what my calling is. They affirm me, they pray for me, and they build me up. That's the purpose of fellowship, true fellowship. When I read these words, I was... uh, Thinking about it's often that when we're in difficulty, the very words we do need are the words of Jesus. They are the things that steady the storm for us. I was thinking about the woman who was caught in adultery. You know, and everybody's condemning her, and Jesus steps forward, and it's the words of Jesus that change everything. It says, Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't Even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Now go and leave your life of sin. In trouble, it's not our words we need most. It's not justifying ourselves. We need the words of Jesus who doesn't condemn us. So they report to John what Jesus has said to them. Have you got people in your life who speak the word of God to you? when you're struggling? Have you got faithful friends and faith-filled friends who are able to put into you the encouraging words that come from Scripture, the encouraging words that come from God? They are great friends to have around you. And uh, the the very content of Jesus' message is this. If John is losing hope in his situation, tell him to look at the things I've already done and to look at the things I am presently doing. You know, we need to do that in our lives on a regular basis. I I, I wasn't around, I've not been a Christian, not really old enough to remember, count your blessings, name them one by one. I've heard the song. But it's a very good principle, because what Jesus has said, John, you need to see what what I've done and what I am doing. And in our lives, when we're going through a storm, it's good to stop and to say, hang on a minute, hasn't God done all this for us? Hasn't he been faithful in the past? I can trust him now. He's been faithful in the past. It's good to remind ourselves of what God for us, d- did for us in salvation, in forgiving our sin, in loving us when we were unlovely. It's good to remind ourselves because it will it will focus us again on whose we are and who we are. We are God's loved children. Faith-filled friends point us in the direction of God and his previous acts on our behalf and his current acts on our behalf. So I'm glad I have some friends who remind me of my calling and encourage me. Sometimes we need friends who will give us more of a fixed focus because we've strayed away in all the circumstances that we're facing in our lives. It should give us hope for the future and it should curb our concerns that are going on in the present. I wrote down... God's goodness remembered today will fortify us for future trials. Let me read that again. God's goodness remembered today will fortify us for future trials. That's why, that's why thanksgiving is so important. When we thank God, we are reminding ourselves of the goodness of God. That's why I, I would say one of my greatest tools in my life is being thankful appreciating what God has done, constantly reminding myself of God's goodness and grace. Now, thirdly, okay, we have faithful friends and we have faith-filled friends, but we also need to make sure that we have and surround our, our lives with friends who have a firm faith. Friends who have a firm faith are always such a value to us. I've met with some guys for years, Actually, since 1980, I have been in a prayer triplet. Not the same guys. The the places have changed and the faces have changed. And they encourage and they correct and they watch over my life in a faithful way, in a faith-filled way. And I watch over them too. That's why I started out with what seemed like a joke about a Canadian and a Brazilian and a Chinese guy. That is my most valuable meeting of my week. They know everything about my life. Actually, to be honest with you, I'm sometimes worried in case they write a book about me because they know so much about my life. But I know these guys are faithful, faith-filled friends. And we meet over coffee and we share our concerns and we, can, we, can, we share our anxieties and, and we share our sins and we pray for one another and we bring the presence of God right there over coffee in an artisano's bakery. And I wouldn't miss that meeting for anything. I'm thanking God for, the, for Zoom at the moment, which means we can continue to meet. Do you know these meetings that we meet week by week together as guys, we call them Vegas meetings. Why? Because what gets shared in Vegas stays in Vegas. We share our lives and our dreams and our struggles. What great words John's disciples returned with to encourage John. Because John would have been looking for, for somebody who was doing the very things that Jesus was doing. These words would have steadied John in his struggle and would have answered the questions that he was asking. The words of Jesus always strengthen us. God's word says to us, "Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to God." Who is speaking to you in your storm? I'm sure God's speaking to you from his word. But, you know, there are many people who talk to me about accountability, accountability, but I love accountability. I love it that I have faithful friends who have my back and care about me enough to tell me the truth about me. Let me give you an example of what I would feel was probably the three best friends to hang out with in the Bible. These are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know that story? Uh, They were real friends with a firm faith. When they stood on the precipice of a fiery furnace and they were about to get thrown into the furnace because they would not bow down or worship the king's idol, listen to their words. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king and said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God who we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. These guys had faith. They had faith. And there's an expectation in them that God will be their deliverer. But these guys were even better friends than that and had firmer faith than that. How do I know that? Because when you read on, listen to the next verse that speaks of an even more firmness of faith. Verse 18 says this. But if not, or if translated, even if he doesn't, Even if God doesn't deliver us, even if our expectation and our experience are not matching, we want you to know, O King, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Even if our experience doesn't match up with our expectation, we want you to know we will not bow down to your idol. Firm faith is able to worship God. Even when your experience doesn't match up with your expectation, firm faith means being able to lift your hands even when there is uncertainty going on in your heart. We have times like that. Firm faith is able to praise God when there's no apparent answer on the horizon. You know, one of the things I've noticed is when storms come in my life, they're not actually. Listed on my calendar. It doesn't say to me, on June the 8th, there's going to come a real problem. No, they come in the back door. They come in surprisingly. But it's so good for us to have people surrounding our lives who can help us to stay firm and clear and in a place of faith. I find I overcome so much better when I've got the right people around me and caring for me. Have you got friends with firm faith in your life? I'm calling on you today to see that surrounding yourself with friends with a firm faith will keep you on course when the pressure is on, when the storm comes and when your expectation and your experience are in a car crash. How about you too? How about growing stronger in your own faith for the sake of others so that you can help them? Will you be a friend who can go to Jesus for them in this particular time? Such people are a means of grace and blessing to us. You know, I was walking in the woods yesterday, and I'll finish with this. And as I was walking in the woods, I was thinking about these words. And I came back and I jotted a few things down. Listen, we are heading for a season where those around us are isolated We're going to come even through this. We're going to find many people have lost their jobs. They're going to be uncertain of the future now and into the foreseeable future. School's out. People can't see what's happening. Their heads are down. But my question to you this morning is this. Are you going to be like Job's friends? Are you going to be like John's friends? Will we be faithful friends to them? Will we be faith-filled in our involvement in their lives into the future? We will we be those with a firm faith so we can help others in what's ahead of us? I'm not just talking about those in the church. I'm talking about those inside and outside of God's kingdom. God is our refuge. That's been my testimony in the last two weeks. God is our refuge. He's a very present help in time of trouble. But have you got friends surrounding your life who, with God's help and with theirs, you're going to be an overcomer? It's my desire and it's God's desire that we come through this season, not just get through, but actually the church of Jesus is a blessing to all around during this time and that we are bringing faith-filled, firm faith blessing everywhere we go.